0: Today on EcoReport. There is so much despair, and the best antidote to despair is action. We bring you
1: our second and final part of our interview with Marsha Veldman.
0: EcoReport is a weekly public affairs program
2: providing independent media coverage
0: of environmental and ecological studies
3: with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events.
1: In order to foster open discussion
3: of human relationships with
2: nature and the earth.
1: And to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world.
2: EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers
1: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
2: And financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner.
1: And I'm Linda Leitner. Smokers of electronic cigarettes in Bloomington now risk receiving a $100 fine if they smoke in public. In their meeting last week, the Bloomington City Council approved adding e cigarettes to a city ordinance that bans smoking in public places. Beverly Callender-Anderson, the City's Community and Family Resources Director, explained the reasoning behind amending the ordinance to include vaping.
4: The amendment to the current smoking ordinance to include electronic
1: smoking devices will strengthen efforts to protect the health and safety of Bloomington residents and visitors. It will protect youth and young adults from observing and participating in activities that might encourage them to utilize electronic smoking devices conventional cigarettes or other tobacco products and it will facilitate continued enforcement of the city's current smoking ordinance calendar anderson said the goal is to protect children the elderly and those with medical conditions from the hazards of e-cigarette vapors council members steve volan and isabel piedmont smith requested the council postpone a final vote on the ordinance change to allow time to review a wealth of conflicting research provided by supporters and detractors. Piedmont Smith cited the issue's complexity. We got the the additional data with web links to studies, to long studies, uh, from the administration on Monday. Um, We got 250 pages last week. We, uh, this is, there's a lot to go into this issue. Um, and if we are going to vote just based on inconvenience or somebody being obnoxious, well, then we can you know, regulate people speaking loudly or people not showering and smelling bad. I mean, it's a, it is a scientific question. So I'm sorry to go off on that tangent, but I, I re- request that my colleagues consider the complexity of the issue
4: council member stir not
1: just their own convenience thank you other council members like Susan Sandberg saw a clear-cut need for the
4: ban as I'm reviewing my decision on this matter, it has less to do with maybe conflicting science. This is a relatively new product, and then all the jury may be out on potential harms. But I think there is enough of a nuisance factor. And again, this is uh, based on some emails that I've gotten from constituents saying that they are bothered by it. When they sit next to someone in a public place who is vaping, that odor can be noxious to certain people. It's not pleasant. So. Regardless Regardless of the science of harm or how much is too much harm, is it more harmful the cigarettes, less harmful the cigarettes? The harm factor isn't what's determining my vote. It is the nuisance factor of respecting someone else's right to go to a public place, a restaurant, wherever place of work, and not have to breathe in someone else's secondhand smoke, regardless of what the vehicle is.
1: Council members went on to hear from both supporters and critics of e-cigarette use. Supporters maintain e-cigarettes help smokers quit traditional cigarettes. They say the vapors are less toxic than secondhand smoke or even car exhaust fumes. Detractors say studies show e-cigarette vapors contain many different toxins.
2: A part of the Greene County faced an emergency situation last week due to a major leak in a natural gas well. According to the Citizens Energy Group, the natural gas well leaked its contents on April 19th, causing the evacuation of nearby homes as well as closure of several roads and power loss to some Duke Energy customers. The well was located in a rural area about four miles south of Worthington between County Road 325 North and County Road 200 North. For hours, only public safety personnel were allowed on site. The well was expected to be empty and the gas fully dissipated within 24 hours. Although the name might suggest otherwise, the so-called clean-burning natural gas that rushed out of a Citizens Energy Group well in Greene County is a greenhouse gas emitting fossil fuel, just like coal or oil. It's mostly composed of methane, but contains small amounts of ethane, propane, butane, and pentane. Industry trade groups coined the term clean-burning natural gas in their efforts to market the gas as a bridge fuel that would supposedly act as a stepping stone from coal to more renewable energy sources such as solar and wind. While the gas concoction known as natural gas releases considerably less greenhouse gases than coal when burned, major leaks like the one in Greene County spew additional quantities of greenhouse gases. When leaks are factored in, the amount of greenhouse gases emitted by natural gas increases significantly. When the highly toxic gas mining practices, commonly known as fracking, are considered, clean-burning natural gas seems considerably less clean than its name would imply and has led environmentalists to accuse the gas industry of, quote, greenwashing, which is defined by Google as disinformation, disseminated by an organization so as to present an environmentally responsible public image.
1: In more natural gas news, the same Dallas company behind the infamous Dakota Access Pipeline Energy Transfer Partners spilled more than 2 million gallons of toxic drilling fluids into Ohio wetlands and creeks as it began construction of the new rover Pop pipeline. According to Sierra Club Ohio, two separate spills occurred shortly after Energy Transfer Partners received approval to construct the $4.2 billion rover pipeline in February. Once completed, the rover pipeline will transport over 3 billion cubic feet of fracked gas through Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, West Virginia, and Ontario. The drilling fluid released into the wetlands was likely composed primarily of bentonite, which in small quantities is relatively harmless. The massive 2 million gallon spill, on the other hand, is considered harmful and toxic to the water ecosystems, even by energy transfer partners. The spokeswoman for the company, Alexis Daniels, told Bloomberg, Once the incidents were noted, we immediately began containment and mitigation. Additionally, drilling fluids contain over a dozen toxic synthetic additives that have adverse health effects on living organisms.
2: Like Energy Transfer Partners, Monsanto, another multinational industrial corporation, was recently under intense scrutiny at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. The Monsanto Tribunal was an international civil society initiative to hold the giant biotech corporation, accountable for human rights violations, crimes against humanity, and ecocide. Eminent judges heard testimonies from victims and delivered a legal opinion following the procedures of the International Court of Justice. On April 18th, the five judges declared that Monsanto, quote, has engaged in practices which have negatively impacted the right to a healthy environment, the right to food, and the right to health, unquote. The panel of judges also concluded that if the crime of ecocide were recognized in international criminal law, Monsanto's activities might constitute that crime because of its widespread dissemination of dangerous agrochemicals in industrial agriculture, the engineering, production, introduction, and release of genetically engineered crops, and the introduction of persistent organic pollutants, including PCBs, into the environment.
1: As a result from countless ecocides of the past colonial and industrial errors, the planet as we know it has been given a deadline, 10 years. This is according to the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. Located near Vienna, Austria, the institute conducts interdisciplinary scientific studies on environmental, economic, technological, and social issues related to global change. They claim that if the humans don't reduce, greenhouse gas emissions drastically and maintain forests, then the result will be catastrophic for the climate. This study, published in the journal Nature Communications, outlines a proposed plan that could simultaneously account for carbon uptake by plants and carbon release by human-induced activities. The group has developed a model that calls for fossil fuel consumption to be reduced by 95% of what is being used right now. Deforest the station would also need to be cut significantly and reforest the station invested in. The goal of their plan is to halt global temperature rise before it reaches 2 degrees Celsius.
2: Moving to ocean-related news, the sardine fishery on the U.S. west coast is closed for the upcoming commercial season. This will be the third year in a row that there won't be enough sardines for commercial fisheries to have a fishing season. Sardines are important because they are an oily fish in the middle of the ocean food pyramid. They are key to maintaining a healthy ocean. Other key oily species include herring, mackerel, and capelin. For years, all of these species have been under increasing environmental threats all around Turtle Island, commonly called North America. The mackerel population along New England was overfished by 1860, Using nothing more than hook and line fishing techniques. The herring population spawning along the New England coast and in the Bay of Fundy was almost entirely diminished by 1880. The famous Cannery Row is in Monterey, California, and the site of many now defunct sardine canning factories is a symbol of the decline of the sardine fishery. The last cannery closed in 1973. The problem of overfishing is a key issue regarding the health of the Pacific humpback whale population because they rely heavily on the herring population in Alaska for a food source. Capelin are not well known to Americans. The fish are a vital food source for cod and for seabirds such as puffin and arctic terns. The capelin fish population is down in recent years because they have been netted and used to feed pigs and salmon on an industrial scale.
1: And April 26 was the first, the 31st anniversary of the nuclear disaster in Chernobyl, Ukraine. The accident spewed large amounts of radionuclides into the immediate environment and far beyond. The research of Dr. Timothy Musso and his team has shown that animals and microbes living in these contaminated areas are failing to thrive. Reduced population sizes and genetic abnormalities are present in birds, bees, butterflies, grasshoppers, dragonflies, spiders, and mammals in the most highly radioactive areas. Birds have increased sterility, albinism, and cataracts with abnormal sperm in barn swallows up to 10 times higher in Chernobyl birds than in control swallows. Those findings help dismiss the idea that similar abnormalities and birth defects reported in humans exposed to Chernobyl fallout were the results of poverty and stress, as some maintain. However, poverty and stress don't affect wildlife. The research also supports evidence found in humans that impacts of the disaster will be felt in generations born long after the disaster. Those are some of the headlines for WHAB and EcoReport. I'm Linda Leitner.
2: And I'm Glenn Leitner. We like getting emails and messages from you. Contact us if you have any thoughts about stories we've aired or if you have future story ideas. Please send emails to earth at wfhb.org.
1: In today's Eco Report feature, we hear the second part of correspondent Dave Parsons' conversation with Marcia Veldman. Veldman spoke with Parsons about the South Central Indiana chapter of the Citizens Climate
0: Lobby. We're very much a grassroots organization, although I think we're up to 15,000 plus members in the United States. Um, there's only 21 staff <laughs> as an organization, so most of the work that happens is uh, by volunteers, and so we go out and do a lot of presentations. We table at events, and um, this January we're part of the the Time to Choose showing at the Buskirk Chumley, and so in you know in thinking about like how to engage more people in the climate change issue. I'm really excited about that Time to Choose Coalition. Mm-hmm. They, um, we have a monthly newsletter now. Right. And so, and in that newsletter, you can learn about the nine to a dozen organizations here in this community that are addressing climate change from in different ways whether it's the Monroe County Energy Challenge going into homes and weatherizing them or Sirens Solar Indiana Renewable Energy Network advocating uh, on behalf of solar they There's, do really good work They do. Yeah. yeah. They've been working hard on SB 309 that's yeah. for sure.
3: Yeah.
0: So, it's a good way for people who are interested and concerned about climate change but haven't decided like how to get involved and i think getting involved is so important right now there is so much despair and the best antidote to despair is action and so that's a really good way to learn about the different groups cuz i really believe you have to find what turns you on. You know, if you just join a group because you feel like you should and because, you know, and you kind of are forcing yourself to do something, you're not going to last long. So I think, you know, taking a look at what all is going on here in this community, there's a lot of great opportunities, and I bet there's something for everyone.
3: So how does somebody get in touch with the the Citizens Climate Lobby and any of these other... You know, do you have websites
0: or? Yeah, yeah. So Citizens Climate Lobby, if you go to citizensclimatelobby.org, you can look up the Bloomington chapter through that. Um, We don't have an active website of our own, but you can reach us through that website. With Green Drinks, we're on the Green Drinks International website. Um, And we also have uh, Facebook presence for both organizations. Um, And with the Green Sanctuary Task Force, um, you do not have to be a member or even attend the Unitarian Universalist Church. Anyone is welcome to participate, and you can go to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Bloomington's website to connect to the Green Sanctuary. And through that, we have a lot of connections to other organizations, including we talked about earth care and who's mm-hmm. your inner faith, power, and light. So you can learn about a lot of the groups we talked about today.
3: And I'm drawing a blank on the the people that did the January event, uh, time to choose. But is there a, I know that was, we had lots of groups that were there and they set up tables and there were ways to connect at the event. Um, do you know if there's any kind of a centralized could place that lists the groups that were involved? or has You any... know,
0: all of those would be on the Unitarian Universalist Church Green Sanctuary website. Um, and I wish I could say, but I think if you look up Time to Choose Bloomington, you could probably find us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get on the newsletter. And they're really good about making it brief and to the point and um, giving people... Direction on action.
3: So. Good, yeah, the news junkies appreciate that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that is wonderful. Um, you know, I, I, while I had you here, I would like to see if there's anything in particular that's going on now that you think we should pay attention to, either something that you think... Could be potentially harmful, or something that you think has a potential for a real positive impact. Sort of current events question, I guess. Yeah.
0: Well, certainly, these are trying times. <laughs> I mean, it. Uh, yeah, this administration is quite honestly pretty frightening, and and it's not so much about the policy it's about the complete disregard for facts and the attacks on science it's just um you know to solve problems we have to work at least from the same set of facts and Mm -hmm. and that's not what's going on so that's really um you know deeply concerning but then on the flip side i see so many more people getting engaged. And I think it was truly a wake up call for a lot of people. I We, as a democracy, I think, and as citizens have gotten a little bit lazy. And I mean, we, you know, the percentages of people who vote, voting, which is kind of the minimal activity of being a part of a democracy are really low. And so I think that's really changing, that people understand that in order for this country to thrive as a democracy, we need the engagement of citizens. And we're seeing that now. And so, you know, while these are difficult times, I think they are also, there's a lot of opportunity there to um, really grow, <laughs> just like I guess is People, you know, it's during our difficult times that we tend to to grow the most as human beings. When life is good and easy, <laughs> sometimes we get lackadaisical
3: Yes, well, it certainly is an opportunity if you look at it that way. I'm thinking especially of people who are just considering getting involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I realized I had a an ageist a stereotype of young people, but actually, there are a lot of people that are at the point in their lives where they're retiring, have more time. So are there any particular, any particular focus or should people just, you know, try to figure out what they're passionate about or have any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think definitely figuring out what you're passionate about um, and, And, you know, and then even within an organization, like within Susan's Climate Lobby, Mm -hmm. while we talk a lot about the lobbying aspect and maybe someone's like, oh, that's not for me, there are still so many ways to be involved. We have people who love doing presentations, but they don't like setting them up. Maybe you like doing that nuts and bolts work of setting up presentations, organizing, tabling. And so oftentimes... um, Within, um, within an organization, there are ways to bring your skills to the table that, you know, may not immediately seem real logical. So I, I really believe in stretching yourselves as people, but then also playing to your strengths at the same time. So, you know, I, I would say just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, get out there, start figuring out who's doing what, and go to some meetings and see, you know, where, where your energy lies. EcoReport
1: is currently seeking volunteer journalists to contribute short weekly headlines about ecological issues from indigenous resistance to infrastructure projects to climate change and biological diversity commitment is light and you can set your own schedule. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. It's time now for In Nature, a segment focusing on the flora and fauna of south-central Indiana.
5: This is In Nature, Indiana summer nights are full of insects seen, and many of them are looking for a mate. But there's one bug with a visual nighttime mating dance, the firefly or lightning bug. Worldwide, there are about 2,000 known species of lightning bugs, and here in Indiana, there are around 30. Adult fireflies are soft-bodied beetles that produce light in special cells located near the end of their abdomen. Their light, which can be yellow, green, or pale red, is produced through a complex chemical reaction. Most of the fireflies that we see flashing at night are males trying to impress females who are sitting on low vegetation. The males produce a flashing pattern that consists of short and long bursts in patterns similar to Morse code. If a female is receptive, she will answer with a flash of her own. Each species of firefly has its own unique flash pattern. After mating, female fireflies will lay up to 200 eggs in moist soil. The larvae are dull-colored creatures that feed on soft-bodied insects, slugs, and snails. By late summer, immature fireflies can produce light, but they don't flash. They leave their light on, and so are often referred to as glowworms, although they aren't the only organism given that name. These glowworms are most frequently seen near ponds and streams. Some firefly larvae overwinter underground, while others spend the colder months on or under the bark of trees. When they emerge, the firefly larvae spend several weeks feeding, and then between one to two and a half weeks pupating. After that, they are ready to look for mates of their own and light up the night.
1: You've been listening to In Nature, a production of WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
2: And now for our weekly events calendar. The Indiana Audubon Society will hold their annual spring festival on Friday, April 28th through Sunday, April 30th at the Mary Gray Bird Sanctuary, located at 3499 South Bird Sanctuary Road in Connorsville, Indiana. Enjoy a weekend of birding, learning, and great fellowship. With over 700 acres of property, participants can walk the many trails, enjoy welcoming back the migrating birds, and celebrate spring. Daily events are scheduled each day. To register, contact Amy Wilms at 765-309-2958 or go to wilmsab at indianaautobahn.org.
1: There will be a Brown County Wildflower Foray at Monroe Lake and at Brown County State Park on Friday, April 28th through Sunday, April 30th. Over 25 guided hikes and other wildflower and nature programs throughout Brown County and Monroe County led by experts and resource professionals will be offered over the weekend. For the complete schedule, visit tiny bc dash dash wild dash flower dash foray.
2: There will be a flora field day at Monroe Lake at the Fairfax State Recreation Area on Tuesday, May 2nd from 9:30 to 11:30 a.m. This is an opportunity to work on your flora identification skills. Practice with a naturalist using an ID key, which opens the door to identifying thousands of species. Bring a Newcomb's wildflower guide, bug spray, hat, and sunglasses and a water bottle. Register by April 29th at the Indiana Department of Natural Resources website.
1: Come by the Bloomington Community Farmers Market on Saturday, May 6th from 10 a.m. to noon for the 6th annual Ready, Set, Grow information table to learn tips that will help you prepare for the upcoming growing season.
2: The Sycamore Land Trust is having a garlic mustard and brew work day on Saturday, May 6 from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Porter West Preserve. Pulling garlic mustard is thirsty work. After tackling this invasive plant at the preserve, you're invited to meet up at Upland's Westside Beer Bar for a tasty local beverage and conversation. Sign up by calling 812- or email information at sycamorelandtrust.org.
1: That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4403 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com.
2: This week's news stories were written by Sarah Vaughan. Linda Green, Norm Holy, Christopher Boyle, and Ann Aaron Comforti, who also edited the script. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Megan Wade and Matt Griffin are our engineers. Our executive producer is Joe Crawford. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner.
1: And I'm Linda Leitner. Join us on Thursdays at eleven thirty AM before Democracy Now and on Fridays at five PM before Kite Line for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news and resistance. Until then, EcoReport encourages you to take direct action to defend the Earth.
2: You've been listening to the EcoReport,
1: a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB
3: in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.
3: EcoReport is your independent, ecologically inspired news source.
1: For South Central Indiana.
3: Bringing you news that the Earth wants you to
2: hear.
1: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
2: directly to the Eco Report staff.
1: The email address is
2: earth at wfhb.org.
1: That's earth at wfhb.org.